given to me by a fan out there, sent it to me, thank you very much. This is the novelization of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, okay? This is a novel by Vonda McMillan. This is this will settle the, the deal. Listen to this. Uh, but their trip is interrupted by the appearance of a mysterious, all-powerful intruder. Suddenly, Kirk, Spock, and the rest of the crew must journey back through time to 20th century Earth, for they, only there can they save the future by rescuing the past. And they have San Francisco right on the It's book. not an official book. It is an official book. It's a story by Leonard Nimoy and Harv Bennett. So I mean, Leonard Nimoy's made a whole career of doing things that kind of relate to Star Trek. It doesn't mean it's the official story. This is the official novelization, a novel based on Paramount Pictures' supreme space adventure, Star Trek Exactly, IV. based on this adventure of the whole Star Trek series. It's the Trek general series. story. It's where they go it's, back to San Francisco. It's not that hard to explain. No, because it's... Have you seen The Hobbit? This is the Because this is they're the making building. three movies of The Hobbit, but it's only one book. This book compiles the first four Star Trek movies, the plots, and combines them into one book. Just as The Hobbit book combines the three no, movies. It, no, it I says Star Trek IV right here. Not all the Star Trek movies are in this book, because they would, then it would just be, say, Star Trek. All the movies. And I, could, I could buy a book about the history of the Jefferson Airplane, and it would mention San Francisco, but that doesn't mean that's the basis of the Star Trek movie. That's what this is, the voyage home. They go back to Earth and are in San Francisco. No, I that, can't do it anymore. I can't listen to this bullshit from book, you. That hey. book is a compilation of the first four Star Trek movies into one book. Chief Medical Officer Christine Ch uh, Chapel stood in the midst of the chaos of Starfleet's command major mission room, huge curved windows presented by 180 degree views of, let me hear it, San Francisco Okay, what Bay. page is that? What page is that? 59. Okay, that proves my point. If it's that early in the book, it's because the second movie, when you take Star... Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash contrarianprime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O V N I O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, and we are recording for Contrarian's Corner. Excellent. For Star Trek V. The quest for peace? The final frontier. Close enough. Well, the God-fearing terrorist group in this is called the Galactic Order of the Light, so you could have potentially mixed up the two there, and that's what that came from. Uh, but no, in continuing on in our award season story arc, we are here for episode 78 for Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. God, The Final Frontier. Uh Star Trek making its Contrarian's debut? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. We've talked about Star Trek and Wars at Nauseam. I know, I just didn't know yeah. if we'd ever actually reviewed any one of these bad boys. No, we the closest we got was we, we had a little talk about the end of Generations in our 
bad endings. That's what I'm episode. thinking of. Yeah, yeah, but so, that wasn't even. I mean, we had some Shatner talk there, but so it's feature length debut. Yeah, uh, standing at 22 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, this definitely falls into the category of the uh, Golden Raspberry winner. Uh, for our last episode, obviously, we were in the the high 90s with the Best Picture winner, Shakespeare in Love. Here we are uh, for one, the only Star Trek movie directed by William Shatner, but also one that racked up at the Razzies, winning Worst Picture, Worst Actor, and Worst Director. So. Who is Worst Actor? Shatner? Shatner, yes, sir. Oh, man. Beating out uh, Tony Danza, Ralph Macchio, Sylvester Stallone, and Patrick Swayze. There are, that many, there are not many Tony Danza movies where he would be the, the feature, like the, the main actor. So what was Danza for? She's Out of Control. I've never heard of this movie. It apparently has Tony Danza, Catherine Hicks, and Amy Dolenz. No match for William Shatner. Not at all. Facing off against God. No. Uh, I mean, that that in many ways is the final frontier of cinema, Shatner v. God. They should have marketed it like that movie War with Jet Li and Jason Statham where the poster's just God and Shatner face-to-face. Or the, what's the, the Nero Stallone? Uh, uh, grudge Match. Grudge Match. Yeah. <laughs> Tremendous. Uh, so, this is The Contrarians. My name is Alex. The uh, other more accented voice you're hearing right now is Julio. Uh, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we like to say, if this is your first time listening. First of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, give you an idea of this gimmick we call a podcast. Uh, we take movies that are rotten or fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and make a case for them otherwise. So, Julio, uh, since this is a nasty green splotch in the lower 20s, uh, we'll be spending this podcast trying to make it sound good. It will be easy. <laughs> I am sorry, but this this movie is just everything that you want from Star Trek is here. Anytime you spend two hours with Leonard Nimoy, it's never a wasted time. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, some people, a lot of people disagreed. I was about to say, since it is 22%, that means that the majority, the overwhelming majority, have some negative things to say about it. Yeah, I got some quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website, uh, starting with Tim Brayton from Antagony and Ecstasy, who says the absolute nader. Is it nader or natter? Nader, right? Ralph Nader? <laughs> we'll go with nader. <laughs> the absolute nader of the series. A movie so bad in so many ways that the second worst has to squint and use binoculars to see that far down. <laughs> I wish he had gone the extra step and given us what the second worst is. Yeah. So that we'd know if we should take him seriously or not. Uh, Charles Cassidy from Common Sense Media says, Worst in series. Some tricky religious content. I think he was just offended by the end. I, I think it's... Uh... It's a hashtag not all God. Yeah, I think... Well, also, you just got to look at the subject material. Sorry it's not all bleep blops and blue blues and it's... <laughs> A, a man and his struggle with religion. That's too, just too real for Star Trek. Gladiator won all these awards, and that was just about a man and his struggle with God. Yeah, I think that they just... Gladiator didn't go that extra bossy step of depicting God as... Having uh, Russell Crowe throw down with the, the big G. As played by random bearded guy. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that. Um Finally, Mark Bourne from DVDJournal.com says, delivers all the pleasure of a plucked pubic hair. Jesus. All right, Mark. Yeah, that was oddly specific. 
He had something going on. Uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, was released on June 9th, 1989. Now we're going to launch into what we affectionately refer to as Contrarian's Corner, where we make a case for a movie one way or the other. So being that this is rotten, we're going to argue for its merit. If you want to know how we really feel about this, just stick around to the second half of the podcast, Real Talk, where we delve into our true and real feelings about it. For this particular episode, they may vary greatly. (laughs) Really? (laughs) We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, So the movie kicks off. We're in a desert, a fucking barren wasteland somewhere. And um, we hardly knew ye. I'm trying to look up this actor's name here that played uh, Cybok. Lawrence Luckinville. That was the first thing I did when the movie ended. Was like, look that up? Yeah. I wrote it down, but I it's a bit too far ahead of the time here. I, like, I have it next to the Oscar clip. I just wrote, and the, and the Embry goes to. <laughs> so Lawrence Luckinville uh, was not long for this world of acting, apparently, because uh, I can't recall another thing I've seen him in. But, God damn it, he, he knew that this was his, his time to shine. He knew that he was going to break that proverbial great barrier, the glass ceiling, that was uh, put above his head. He plays a character of Cybok, who we learn very quickly is a Vulcan. He's got the pointed ears. There's the first big reveal of the movie, which made me yearn for the good old days when that was all you needed for a reveal. Just it's, like ears? Just the pointy ears. It's just this major revelation that throws us to the opening credits. But he comes across a, a, a vagabond, a vagrant in the desert somewhere, and essentially we can establish that... He is a man of God, a religious man. He's there to spread the good word. Well, yeah. You know who else looked like a vagabond and vagrant in the desert for 30 days and 30 nights? Who's that? Jesus. <laughs> and he pulls kind of a Jesus trick here. He hugs this guy that looks like a skinnier John Malkovich and takes away his pain. Mm-hmm. And then the guy is ready to follow him till the end of the world. It's true. He He's starting his own revolution here. Um Meanwhile, the crew of the Enterprise is on shore leave. Now, Julio, you're a bit more familiar with the franchise than I. This seemingly picks up where the fourth one left off. I think so. I think that's why this vacation by the Go Go's start playing, and then they (laughs) just—that's how the movie ends. It literally number four ends with uh, with William Shatner looking at a mountain and saying, "I'm gonna climb it," (laughs) and then this one picks up with him mid climb. I was about to say Tom Cruise, Limp Biscuit, Metallica, uh, you know. You had no idea they were ripping off Star James, Trek V. Who, was it James Wan that directed Mission Impossible 2? James Woo. James Woo, excuse me. All of them. Eat your heart out. John Woo. John Woo. God, we're terrible. Well, James Wan. James Wan is. is the it, horror director. Yeah. Okay. My B. My blunder. So it, it doesn't matter. All of them can eat their heart out because we got fucking Bill Shakespeare, uh, Bill Shatner. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm looking at our webpage just a minute ago and I saw the Shakespeare in Love. Shatner, the man, the myth, the legend, is just scaling a mountain here um, with no particular care or regard for his well-being. It doesn't look like he's harnessed in in any way, and he's not really particularly too concerned about it. He's, he's free soloing it. He's not. He doesn't have any sort of backup plan uh, regarding his safety. And then Spock comes in with his floating ra- uh, rollerblades and... Uh, it just basically looks like they're just having a camping trip. They're just having a good old time, uh, unaware of what else is going on in the universe. It's very enjoyable. I think that maybe this is it part of the backlash. Them. Well, yeah, and and you know, right now when you go to see a blockbuster, you go to see something like Infinity War, you don't get downtime. You, it's just 
set piece after set piece after set piece. And here you get an extended, what, 10 minutes at least of mm -hmm. these three friends hanging out, doing sports, just singing Sitting around by the campfire. A fire. It's, it's enjoyable. It's not because things are going to get crazy later. So just mm -hmm. enjoy the quiet time with these guys. Uh, also, because the movie uh, has a lot to do with their friendship. Yeah. So it's good that you, even five movies in, you, you need to reestablish that for people like you who don't have all the history. You haven't been watching uh, Star Trek, you know, the features, the TV show, whatever. If you were coming in cold into this world, kind of like you did, you need at least a little bit of establishment yeah. As far as like who these characters are, who uh, how they relate to each other, what their relationship is, and here I think that you get a perfect snapshot of what kind of person Kirk is, what kind of person Spock is, half person he would say, mm -hmm. uh, and what kind of person McCoy is, who's yeah. kind of a racist asshole, but lovable. He he, it's a bit quizzical, but yeah, and I think that's another thing that takes people off center, off kilter, as it were. From the get goes because we're used to either a story about Kirk or then Kirk and Spock, but here McCoy, it's it's really a three part story. It's yeah. like the, it's in many ways it's the hangover of its day, uh, in that these three guys band together and uh, unfortunately find themselves uh, through no choice of their own in, in a scenario of hijinks and um, compromising situations. So instead of looking for Justin Bartha, though, they're looking for God. E exactly, dude. If they ever remake Star Trek Five, Justin Bartha's is God, that's just the ultimate thing. Uh, bring me the Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the goings-ons is on Nimbus 3. There's been a hostage situation. Uh, the crew is not too aware of it, but we know that's where Cybok was raised in hell. Um, but these hostages include humans, Klingons, and Romulan. So there's like this intergalactic treaty or uh, agreement in place to try to get them out but um the new so the new um rebel klingon without you know the permission of the elders his whole goal is is he trying to dupe them into this so he can back, get back at kirk or is he just kind of yeah he's he's he knows that kirk is infamous for having stuck it to the klingon empire several mm -hmm. times so he thinks that if he gets kirk he's ultimately going to be uh, proclaimed as a hero okay so he's because I want to make sure I understand correctly. There was, like, this idea that they would go in together to to get all the hostages out. Oh, no, no, no. They intercepted the distress call, and they knew that they were – originally, they they just knew that the Federation was sending a, a ship. Okay. And they said, well, we'll just go fuck things up. Okay. And so. then and then when they find out it's Kirk, then they said, now we're really – So they were just eavesdropping, and I was just like, all right. It, yeah. Okay. Because they're Klingons, so they're dumb, and they find a satellite, and they just want to shoot it and then end up automatically uh, – accidentally uh just picking up that transmission there's a lot of uh directions and wires getting crossed throughout this so i want to make sure i was on the correct page well it's all part of the bigger plan anyway because if you are to read the ending of this movie a certain way you could say that god was manipulating the events all across the galaxy so that everybody would reach that destination at the same time yeah it seems quite apparent so they go to nimbus 3 uh, and there's a commune where all this shit's going down uh, called Paradise City, according to the trivia for this, because the song Paradise City by Axl Rose and his band of misfits was uh, quite hot at the time. But look at the restraint from Shatner as a director not to play Paradise City. Yeah. 
And not to have like a Klingon or someone down there that looks like Axl Rose or Slash. Could have gone for like an intergalactic top hat though for Slash, but uh from restraint to non, you know, this movie kind of sets this tepid tone of um you know, pensive reflection and you know, we're in for quite the religious experience, both uh, figuratively and literally. But we get a one-two punch here. Uhura is, uh, I have here, Uhura is a siren. She, we get the silhouette. We don't know what she's wearing, but it doesn't look like much. And she's singing a song and lures in all these guys that are just crawling up. And I, I, I don't know, it's like fucking uh, roaches when the light hits. They're just scattering, but, you know, she's the, the under the fridge. It was so refreshing to see, it, not just a woman, this is the 80s. Number one, right? Now, here's a woman embracing her sexuality and using it as a weapon. This is way before Basic Instinct, way before way before Sharon Stone crashed blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a mature woman. This is not Zoe Zaldana no. wearing a skin-tight suit. Uh, that's one of the things that I enjoyed so much is that we're five movies into this franchise, not counting, and you know, what, three seasons of a television show? These are seasoned characters mm-hmm. these are older people these are captain kirk has no business nobody in that ship has any business going through the action sequences that they go they go through here no much less putting on a song and dance number to attract people but that's also because in real life it's not like you you check out when you hit 40 yeah you're still doing stuff yeah haven't you seen last vegas <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, here and also, I, I, I don't know if I'd forgotten about this or this is the first time that it's brought up in the series, but she very clearly has at least something that's more than a platonic relationship with Scotty, mm-hmm. which is great because in the new, in the reboot with Chris Pine and all the super attractive people, it's uh, Spock and Uhura that get together, which never made any sense to me because Spock's no. supposed to be unemotional. Yeah. Here, it makes sense. She, she hooks up with the, the Irish guy. Yeah. Uh, and here she's flaunting what she's got and attracts these these gentlemen in, and then the I, I don't remember who it is, but they pull guns on them from the uh, ship. Basically, they're trying to figure out what the fuck's going on, and naturally, their best instinct is it's a bunch of fucking dudes down there, so let's get this attractive woman out there. Works like a charm every time. Uh, I said the one-two punch because that's the setup, and then fucking Kirk and crew just come in guns blazing. They, there's no restraint, no you know they they come in with this kill 'em all type mentality, um, take no prisoners. And the locals are shooting stones at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, meanwhile, the the Star Trek crew has lasers. They have like a fucking minigun that they are mounting. And <laughs> Shatner was going for things here with his vision of Star Trek. It differed a bit uh, from the. The path that we had been on for the first four. Is it Captain Kirk has seen some shit. <laughs> he has no patience, no room for this. Uh, what do they call it? The first directive or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, do no harm. He's just gonna go in, extract the prisoners, and get the hell out of there. Which makes sense because at this point, he's we've been through fucking four movies worth of bullshit. <laughs> so he should just be get the fucking job done, get in and get out. Well, also he was on vacation. They're pulling him out of his of his little break. And if Live Free or Die Hard taught us anything, it's that you don't pull a man out from his vacation. Half the movie, Kirk is walking around basically in his shorts and wife beater. Just he just cannot wait to get back to 
to just the wild in in the campfire and the mountains. That is relatable. Yeah. Like, for the last act, he's wearing fucking khaki shorts, a Hawaiian shirt, and a fucking fedora, and just waiting to get back to the beach. It's a trap. It was all a hoax, a ruse. They were hoodwinked, bamboozled. The wool was pulled over their eyes, as this was all a setup from Cybok. Everyone at Paradise City was working for him. Yeah, there were no prisoners. No. So, Or rather, there were prisoners at some point, prisoners of their own pain, and he released them. Like the yes. Jesus figure that he is. He is a man of uh, relief and uh, salvation, is the word I'm looking for there. Because what he's able to do is in, in, essentially brainwash everybody that's there into helping him out to concoct this plan that from the start sounds pretty outlandish. You know, we're, we're dealing with some reindeer games territory here, but again, there's divine intervention. He just banks on, you know, God, then it's going to work out. And Alex, you say brainwash. I say, find Jesus. He showed them the light. Yeah, literally he comes in, he sets up his little church here in paradise city. Uh, he, he takes confession from everybody. They tell him his, their bigger, their biggest regrets, their biggest fears. He absolves them. And then he says, do you want to come find God with me? Mm-hmm. No, okay. <laughs> Why not? Well, those fuckers on Nimbus 3 didn't really have anything else going on. It's, you know, uh, it's like in Forrest Gump when Jenny's on the street corner and the guy pulls up. Who wants to go to San Francisco? I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> wants to go to the Great Barrier and find God. <laughs> Just looks back and it's like a pig. <laughs> One water bucket. All right, let's do it. <laughs> So he wants the ship. He says, give me the goddamn ship. He's on a quest. Uh, we get intermittent cuts of the Klingons. They're keeping a distance, but they're on the on the path. Uh, their ultimate goal, their salvation, or at least this one gentleman, is to get uh, Captain Kirk. We learn in a... Um, it's a pretty big reveal, but we learn it in a pretty mediocre fashion, which I think was a really good decision in directing. I'll explain in just a moment. But we learned that Cybok is Spock's brother. Now, obviously, we, the audience, knew from the get-go he was a Vulcan, but uh, there was no mention of him being Spock's brother up until this point. Right. In fact, if you even assumed that he was related to Spock, you would actually feel guilty because, okay, just because he has pointy ears doesn't mean that he's related to the other guy in the show that has pointy ears. Exactly. And here, Shatner sees that there's a lot going on in this movie, and the social and scientific over and undertones that we're dealing with are way bigger than just, you know, your film trope where, Oh, they're the ba- related. <laughs> the bad guy is related to one of the good guys. So he just says it. It's like, Hey, what's up, brother? Yeah. You get a couple of reaction shots from uh Shadner and uh, from bones. And then Bones says, listen, let's move on. <laughs> Next scene. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> we learn the goal is to get to Shaka Ray which is beyond the Great Barrier. Now, again, Julio, your uh, Star Trek knowledge is a little bit more dip, deep than mine. So the Great Barrier, is that referenced in any of the other films? Or is... uh, I want to say this is just a, a brand new Star Trek V invention. Okay. Uh, a welcome addition to the mythology. Well, I mean, any universe has a cap. It's just like fucking, I just imagine You the Great go far barrier. enough Truman on Show. Earth and you, you just fall off. Yeah. That's right. 
Jesus. Uh, no, really, we were watching it, and I was going to turn to you and say, like, oh, so these these people, even this far into the future, there are some flood earthers that just say well, you can't go past the Great Barrier. And then the MVP of the movie, Lawrence, what's his name, actually says. Lickenspiel? Yeah. Luckenbill. He, he says. Luke. Luck, yeah. <laughs> that guy. Spock's brother. He He actually references that. He says, once upon a time, people believed that the Earth was flat, and then... Christopher Columbus made Home Alone and proved them wrong. <laughs> Damn it. I was going to get to the Oscar scene here momentarily. <laughs> uh, the Galactic Order of the Light are now in the time that they've been waiting so long because Kirk's response time has been so poor <laughs> to getting there that he's actually formed uh, a fucking organized gang called the Galactic Order of the Light that is now on the FBI list of gangs next to Juggalos. <laughs> it's been that long that they've been waiting. So they want to break through the Great Barrier, and again, uh, I think it slid under the radar, but to me, like the joke was it was going to be like the Truman Show, where the ship just got to a certain point, and then it ripped through the set. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Or the bridge that he can never go over, and the fire right. comes up. See, I thought that you were going deeper in the sense that the Great Barrier was something that... A bigger authority. Ed Harris is watching William Shatner. <laughs> well, you know how they wouldn't let Truman leave? He would yes. he would try and try, but he couldn't. And I think that there was the Federation maybe was trying to keep those smaller planets at bay by saying, no, you can't go past that because it's too dangerous, Truman. <laughs> so Julio already made allusion to it, but then we get the uh, big Oscar scene from um, Luckenberg. What's his name? Lawrence. Lawrence. Lou. Larry. He just talks about how, you know, I'm not crazy. Christopher Columbus, you know, came along and proved that that was, uh, the earth was round and showed there was more to earth and talking about like the sound barrier. being Sound broken. barrier couldn't be broken. And Captain Marvel showed up and she just. Yeah. His uh, examples were severely lacking. Like I, I was, I was hoping he would just pull like some random sports stat out. Like, uh, Mark, I mean, it's the future. So. It's true, and it's also eighty nine. I was going to say Mark McGuire's home run record, but that was about ten years off. So, it's actually quite impressive that it's the twenty third century, and they are still using Columbus as a reference. Mm -hmm. The enduring power of Christopher Columbus is just impressive, more impressive than what they find when they finally find God. But you don't have the woke character that says uh, he's responsible for genocide <laughs> and the slaughter of a nation. Um, that was uh, that was one of Sulu's lines, but they got cut when he got yes. brainwashed. So we get this side trek that is really just more of the hangover, the you know the shenanigans I was talking about, like Jim, Bones, and Spock almost inadvertently break out of their jail cell that they're being held captive. Scotty breaks him out, and then Scotty hits his head and passes out. That's right. That's right. And then, uh, if you can't pick up from this from this recap, this movie is really funny. Yes, intentionally so. I mean, there's no way that they were playing that for dramatic purposes. It, that is slapstick, and I welcome it because at the same time you're you're dealing with some heavy themes, uh, especially the further the movie goes. So you need some some lighter moments. And Scotty here, he falls on his ass like three times during the movie. It's universal language. Right. And a portly fellow falling down is funny in any language. And this last time is so severe that he actually bleeds, and then they have to take him to the to the medical room when they finally find him. And then the comedy continues because they're just kind of running around aimlessly while uh, Song 2 by The Blur play, plays in the background. And they it reminded me of the fucking um, like Silo. Not Silo. What is it? 
in fucking uh, Empire Strikes Back where they end up where Luke and Vader end up fighting where there's just like, oh like in the, uh, Cloud City yeah because they're just in this big like it looks like they're inside a fucking nuclear reactor and they're trying to climb up and they're having a hard time and then Spock's fucking floating rollerblades come back into play and then the comedy picks back up because they both have to latch onto Spock at the same time to get a ride but they're too heavy so he starts going down yes and uh, Sulu who's been brainwashed by by the bad guy by now is waiting there with a group of people and and Kirk keeps going. Use the thrusters, you know, more power. And Spock says, well, that might overshot. And it, just do it. And then he, so he blasts the boots, mm-hmm. which causes him to basically burn Sulu's face off. But we don't, did you see that shot? Like the, the smoke comes out and I'm like, wow, he killed Sulu. <laughs> uh, and then they shoot all the way up. Yes. it's. But beyond that, what I really, I mean, it was funny, but what I really enjoyed in that moment was that they, these grown men, they bicker like teenagers. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that that's, that's because they love each other so much. Mm-hmm. And But at this point, they had to get over all that bullshit because they really had to embrace just to get out of that pickle. Mm-hmm. So it's actually kind of a beautiful shot once they finally... Spock's there. He, but he not picks taking up itself too seriously. It still has its charm and comedy about it. Well, yeah, because at first it's Spock's carrying Kirk and then he goes up to Bones and he's like, all right, come over. And Bones says, I'll wait for the next card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then he begrudgingly joins them, and it's just this this three-man embrace that eventually saves their lives. So we learn how Lickenspiel's doing all this, uh, Cybok, in that he is able to project, and I don't know if he gets in the brain, I don't know if he's like Professor X, but he's basically able to see what someone's darkest regrets and pain is, and absolve them of their sins, what have you, make them feel better. Uh, There's a deleted scene where he also multiplies bread and fish. <laughs> and he's helping this with Spock. He helps this with Bones. Uh, shows them, you know, some of their darkest memories, their deepest pain, what have you. Yeah, talk about, like, deep reveals. No wonder that they just shrugged off the reveal that... that this guy was Spock's brother because later they were going to reveal that McCoy killed his own father. Yeah. That's what you you were saving the Jews for. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to steal his thunder. <laughs> this is McCoy's show. God damn it. So, and again, he's making these people feel better. He's offering salvation, much like a, a carpenter from several, several millennia ago. And, he offers the same to Kirk, and then we get Shatner's. Uh, would you say Shatner would be the uh, best actor, or best supporting actor? Oh, best actor. Okay, this so, is the William Shatner show. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just didn't know if it was one of those like um, where he would gracefully submit as supporting. <laughs> yeah, who's the? Why am I blanking on the gentleman's name from Django? Uh, um, Christoph Waltz. Yeah, where it's clearly his movie, but he somehow got a supporting actor nomination. Um, yeah. Shatner's Oscar scene, you know, talks about we carry our pain. It's what makes us who we are. And the quote I have written down is, I need my pain. <laughs> and if that if you can't see that playing with it was 89. So uh, who would a Kim Basinger, William Shatner for Star Trek five, the final frontier. I need my pain. It's it's beautiful and it cannot be replicated. We can't do it really justice other than maybe they called him one take Bill. They could never replicate it. (laughs) Uh, The way that he he this is 
I mean, this is well-trod ground. Explaining how Shatner talks, I, you don't need me to do that. You no. know how Shatner talks. And for them to give him this amazing speech that's almost a climatic speech, mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's it's a present for all of us. And we talk about all this from a delivery standpoint, but actually the, the, the root of the matter, the rhubarb, is it's still a man struggling with his religious identity. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we're kind of burying the lead, but by now we're full-on religious doubt and, and conflict. This is, this is like First Reformed, mm-hmm. and Ethan Hawke is there wrestling with his inner demons. This is the same. We're actually – it's even cooler here because you're seeing uh, Bones – haunted by the fact that he mercy killed his father when he was sick and then uh, Spock has this vision of his mother giving birth to him and then his dad going he's too human yeah it's you're getting to see these sides of these characters these really dark sides that you've never seen and then Shatner has the opportunity of doing that himself and he refuses Mm -hmm. and that's when he says that I, I need my pain which you know the journey of religion is different for every man and you know there's i think that's what makes us so interesting because things work for some people and others work for some and in and just being defiant of religion doesn't mean you're a bad person no and it, this is that's what the movie's doing here because the truth is the longer it goes the more sympathetic this fake jesus becomes mm-hmm. uh that's of course partly because lawrence is just such a good actor but also because he's not really harming anybody Overall, his plan hasn't really had that many casualties. Mm. I mean, you had to break some eggs. You have to kill some villagers to get on top of the Enterprise. But after that, uh, you know, overall, he's done nothing but good things once he got into the Enterprise. He he got rid of everybody's pain. And he's being very... Uhura hasn't been happier in a long time. Uh, he She wants to bang Scotty. She's found the joys in life. Yeah, come in all shapes and sizes. There's like there's a scene entirely devoted to the idea that Uhura wants some Scotty. God bless. And he's in, he's in no shape to uh, return the favor. So we continue on, and we get past the Great Barrier. You know, I think everyone thinks when they hit it, it's just gonna everyone's gonna die, or no one really knows what's gonna happen because no one's gone beyond the Great Barrier, and they do it. They make it past. And then we get a slow panning shot to the the crest of the the ship the, to go where no man's gone before. To boldly go. To boldly go where no man's gone before. And it basically, you know, it's Bill looking down at it, and then the camera pans down. Very nice touch. It's, it's him suddenly being reminded that uh, it's his fucking job to go out and explore. <laughs> <laughs> He's been resisting it, but really this is what he needed to be doing the entire time. So we're looking for Shaka Ray. Shaka what have you? We land on this big fucking purple rock. Everything is purple. The poster now makes sense because the poster, I have this pulled up in front of us. You got the fucking Enterprise, and then looks like Skeletor down there. But it's it's Shatner and Nimoy, and no no bones, which is kind of lame because, like you were saying, it's a, it's a three hander. Yeah, it's a buddy comedy with three buddies. What was that? Uh, Alan Arkin. Oh, like recently? Yeah. Morgan Freeman? They like rob a bank or something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're robbing the philosophical bank here in this one. They're robbing a church. Well, they're not stealing from the collection (laughs) plate. I think they're just, they're Toby uh, from The Office where he has a hard time going in the church because he doesn't know what to believe at this point. 
what we believe as viewers, because we're fucking watching it, is that they've landed. They go to the middle of wherever they are. It's uh, it, The land itself is not called Shaka Ray, is it? I don't think so, no. Okay. So they go. Um, Cybok proclaims loudly, we've traveled long distances. We're here for this. And then he's dressed for the occasion, too. He's he, got the flowing robe. The yeah, beard. He, yeah, he's going on full Jesus now. I just wish he had like the hood up, like the Jedi hood when he got there. But if you were a more impatient or unimaginative viewer, this next scene or sequence may have thrown you off a bit because we just kind of get cuts of rocks moving and then they're in a completely different place. Um, That's how God works in mysterious ways. I was going to say, had this been a regular movie that wasn't tackling big issues, I would have said, oh, the the budget was massively underfunded or uh, the set designers were not available or there was just no more money in the bank. There's no more water in the pool. But with this... Oh yeah, okay. They're dealing with God here. This makes this is plausible. Well, God also works in cost-saving ways, <laughs> in very uh, fiscal, fiscally responsible ways, <laughs> very frugal ways. So before them appears the big G. It's uh, it's blue. First it's of a, all, it's a blue flash of light, and the quote I have here: "One voice, many faces." We get to see a bunch of faces scroll by. Including uh, Trump's, which it's, even back then it should have been a red flag. Yes. Well, no, it's the fucking Hayden Christensen being CGI'd in the Return of the Jedi. <laughs> they went back after the 2016 election and superimposed Trump's face. In there. Oh, there you go. That makes sense because we're watching the remastered version. So <laughs> the Criterion release and God is uh, a white fella with a big beard. I love the social commentary in. I like this movie, but I don't know if I would go as far as giving it credit for doing this intentionally. Mm -hmm. But they've traveled, you know, to the end of the world. They have a pretty diverse crew, which is something that I love about the show, about the series, right? You have Uhura's Black, Sulu is Asian, uh, Scott is Irish, Spock is pointy ears. He's Scottish. Oh, he's Scottish. Yeah. Scotty, Scottish. Yeah, that. Well, you know, he's they, they he's, get they can get pretty <laughs> testy about that confusion. Um so you know, there's there's all sorts of and even now in this trip they picked up even more people. At Paradise City they picked up a Klingon and a Romulan and everything. But it, when it's time to go meet God, it's four white dudes <laughs> on that trip. because Spock and his brother, they're white guys, basically. And of course when they finally do meet God, he's also a white dude. Well, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> right. Because God wants the ship. He basically says – he plays it off as he wants to sh- his knowledge to pass back through the Great Barrier, so he needs a spaceship. Um, I mean, he needs a ride. <laughs> he's just very – he's very bored. <laughs> Shadner very understandably asks – this is why I love Captain Kirk – he doesn't get tricked easily. He doesn't even do the raise the hand. He's at the fucking film festival where you have the question and the comment. He just puts the one finger up. I have a two-part question. <laughs> what does God need with a starship? He asks. And this is, you know, the kind of the collection plate comes by and you say, well, what does God need my money for? And the guy, you know, 
Who dare question? <laughs> what I love is that uh, even though it's clear by now that uh, Bones and Spock are not brainwashed. Mm-hmm. The bad guy tried, and they couldn't. He kind of got McCoy for a little bit, but then he, he snapped out of it when he saw that Spock hadn't fallen for it. Yeah. So they're, they're in full control of their senses. And yet, when, when Shatner gets all defiant with God, Bones gets nervous. And he goes, Jim, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you don't ask God for his ID, which is a great line. <laughs> yeah. And he persists, though. What, do you, what the fuck do you need my spaceship for? And then we get the lasers out of the eyes. The old Superman knocks them back. And what I do love, too, is the special effects here are – it's not like it burns him or cuts him. It's just like a charred circle on his stomach. But it goes it goes through him because there's also a charred circle on his back. Oh, is there? Which is crazy. I didn't catch that. <laughs> he should be dead. He should be. But he's Captain James fucking Kirk. He, he was impaled by the light. <laughs> yeah. That should have been the last shot, like the fucking end of the Thriller music video. He turns to the camera and his eyes light up. Um, But he's down. Spock then continues to press the issue. What the fuck do you need this ship for? I think Bones is starting to come around like, okay, everything's not what it seems. And then Cybok is like, what the fuck? He, you know, in the immortal words of Return of the Mac, you lied to me. It's a very sweet moment, too, because uh, he, Psylocke, Cybok. Looks at God and goes. This is not Olivia Munn. <laughs> but on that remake, where, uh, <laughs> good lord, uh, yeah, no, Cyborg, uh, he's horrified and he turns to God and says, "Why did you hurt my friend?" Which is really sweet because he actually considers Kirk his friend <laughs> after everything that's happened. Yeah, and it's here you learn that. Oh, he wasn't really crazy. He was just misguided or like was following a false prophet and he really cared about these people, but he just believed he was serving this higher purpose. Uh, I, I may, I don't know if I missed out on this or is it really explained how he, well, he claims he was visited to go there. Yes. Okay. I think it's implied that this, this God in quotation marks just kind of tuned into the frequency of his mind and just implanted those those messages, those visions in his head. Like um, the Phoenix Saga. Right. Yeah. But I also, I kind of get the feeling that maybe he was not the only one receiving those signals. He's just He just happens to be the only one that went through the barrier. Crazy enough to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Crazy enough to hijack a Federation ship and go. So what? what is the blue guy... Is he like stuck there unless he gets out? Then he becomes a real boy, or I guess so. We'll uh, never know because he never got out. But that's in an alternate universe. He gets out, and Chris Pine has to kill him. <laughs> well, uh, Cybok then realizes the error of his ways in the situation that he got them into. So he jumps into the the great void, the great beyond, and we don't really see what happens to him. He has an awesome line, though. He. Because his catchphrase through the entire movie has been, uh, oh, I see you have a lot of pain. Let me help you. And then he'll brainwash someone. So then he turns to to fake God and goes, I can sense your pain. Let me help you. And then he jumps. <laughs> he John McClane's it. He just goes for it. So this turns into Spock and um, Bones getting back to the ship. So Kirk has kind of a, a brief showdown with God, but then the Klingons come and save him. They shoot this false prophet, this big gelatinous tub of blue, and he gets pulled aboard the Klingon's ship. It's pretty awesome that, because the Klingons are a threat up till like the last minute, but 
there's this really amazing shot when they still think that it's God. Mm-hmm. He's just he hasn't spoken yet. I think he is just floating is a floating blue light and you cut to the enterprise and everybody in the enterprise is just mesmerized <laughs> and then you it's a panning shot and then you see one of the screens that's warning them that the klingons are coming but yes, of course yeah. they're too distracted with religion to address the real threat yeah so the klingons get there they end up helping out kirk they bring him aboard and the rebel the the high school jock of the klingons the one that his whole goal was uh, to get Kirk, he wouldn't be the high school jock. He would be like the overzealous. Uh, he's the guy that's still holding. At... He's holding the high school grudge. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. And he brings him aboard. His basically his dad, his mom forces him to apologize, and he does. Yeah, which uh, of course you're not that much of a Trekkie, Alex. So I'm sure it didn't hit you as hard. But really, to see a Klingon apologize <laughs> to a human. It's just such a big deal. That alone made the movie for me. So he apologizes, lets them know that it was Spock that shot God. <laughs> yeah, and then Scott, Scott Spock, uh, another amazing reveal. He just turns on the chair, on the gunner chair, mm-hmm. and he's there. With his fucking Long Island iced tea and his his uh, tank girl glasses on, or goggles, rather. Uh, and so then we get a big party. They're sharing drinks, libations, breaking bread. Sulu and Chekhov have this really weird moment where they're just checking out one of the female Klingons. Did you notice? It's yeah. kind of like a background gag, but it's really weird because the elevator opens. This this Klingon chick comes out, and then Sulu and, and Chekhov look at her. They look at each other. They start following her. Then she goes all up, all the way up to the, the bad Klingon, and then they turn around and walk away. <laughs> Tremendous. That's that's amazing attention to detail from Shatner, just orchestrating these little things in the background. So the night goes on. It progresses as we would imagine. And Bones uh, is bummed because it wasn't God. Yeah. Which I mean, when you get that far, it would that would you want to talk about a mind fuck. That that would really leave you questioning what is this all for? Especially because he's a man of science. He's a doctor. Mm-hmm. So you would think that he had to let go of a lot to even consider that this might be God, and then God tried to kill him. It's, so, been, a, it's, it's been a couple rough days for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even when you get to that final shot, which is the, the, the three of them, he still looks bummed. I, I would it's worry gonna about It's going to weigh on him for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not just something you're going to get over the next day. It's not just like, oh, toasted a bagel, and now I'm, I'm done. On to the next mission. Exactly. So... He ends up, uh, along with James and Spock, right back where we started from, and that is by the campfire. And this time, Spock's actually joining in with the melody of Row, Row, Row Your Boat. But Bones isn't singing. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> he's just so fucking destroyed by what happened that he's just staring into the fire. They all left a little piece of themselves there with uh, Shaka Ray. Um, it's something that we forgot to bring up, but it's, I think, one of the big things in the movie is that uh, the movie opens with them camping and Shatner climbing and then he falls, right? And Scott, uh, Spock rescues him. And then he says, well, I knew I wasn't going to die because I will die alone and I, w- I, ha- I was with you guys. Which is a pretty fucked up thing to say, but at the same time, sweet. And then, It's like bros till the end type shit. Right. And then when you're in the climax at the end, he, he has Spock and bones beamed out of there because it could only uh, beam two people at a time 
so they beam them out and he's by himself facing off against fake god and uh and then spock rescues him and i didn't even make the connection of the two well because spock says uh he kind of mumbles it but i think kirk says something like that was a close one and I thought I was going to die, and Spock says, that's impossible, because you were never alone. That's right. And I was like, aww. <laughs> then he almost hugs him, and Spock's like, not in front of the Klingons. Yes, okay. I do recall that now. So, I guess what makes it even more significant is that two movies later, when we finally get to the the previously discussed in this podcast, Star Trek Generations, when Kirk finally dies, Spock and, and uh, Bones are not with him. So, in a way, he did die alone, like he predicted. Fascinating. Shatner knew even then. He called his shot as the director of this. <laughs> he he started that that mythology. He, in Star Trek Five, he said, "If I go, I go alone. <laughs> I'm putting it in the movie." All right, and then that takes us to the credits. Someday, by Sugar Ray, <laughs> plays over the the PA system. What would play? Last Resort by Papa. What if Roach? God was one of us by <laughs> Joan Osborne? That that's probably closer to. What should play? Last Resort. Yeah, that that should never end a movie. <laughs> that might open it. That should have played while he was climbing the mountain. <laughs> but just like the muffled version where you can hear it's in his headphones. That's what he's <laughs> listening to. All right. Let's move this train along. All right. Row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat. I love row. Do, do you know row, 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 row your boat? That song did not come up in my research, Captain. The lyrics are, are very simple. It's... Um, uh, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Uh, the doctor and I will start it off, and then when we give you a signal, you jump in. Doctor, if you please. <clears throat> mm. Don't say I didn't warn you. Row, row, row your boat. Gently down the stream, merrily, 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 gently down the stream, merrily, 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 life. Come on, Spock, why didn't you jump in? I was trying to comprehend the meaning of the words. It's a song, you green-blooded Vulcan. You sing it. The words aren't important. What's important is that you have a good time singing it. Oh, I am sorry, Doctor. We'll be having a good time. God, I liked him better before he died. All right, all right, all right. Okay, we are recording for Real Talk for Star Trek V. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. This is Real Talk. This is where we will divulge and dive into how we really feel about this movie. As I mentioned in the first portion, this was a summer film released on June 9th, 1989. I can't remember if I wrote this down in my notes, the things it had to fucking contend against, but summer 89, man, there were some heavy hitters that year. Batman's obviously the first one that comes to mind. And there was, didn't an Indiana Jones come out summer 89? I know. Brian Adams had that song, Summer of 89, where he listed a whole bunch of movies. <laughs> uh, so, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. If you couldn't tell by me continuously going to Julio to help me recap the plot in this, I had had a hard time following this. found this movie remarkably boring. <laughs> uh, budget of $33 million for box office turn is 63 So, as you would expect, the Star Trek fan base is always there. I don't think it would be pretty astounding for like a Star Trek movie to lose money. But it probably... I mean, I don't know. It, it's worth exploring why, at some point, they stopped making them. Well, this one almost tanked it. 
I mean, that to me that that's just like budget versus box office. That, that not I don't know if that budget takes in like marketing and like all that. As shit. far as expected earnings, that probably yeah, like that Bumblebee movie John Cena was in, quote unquote, tanked but still made like two hundred million dollars. So that's you know that's obviously the the uh, algorithms and metrics they use are a lot different. So uh, let's see for my little note skis that I had on this movie here. Uh, the movie's climax was cut almost entirely due to a writer's strike. As a result, the special effects budget was cut drastically. Otherwise, the ending would have been entirely different. Yes, there was a writer strike, and there was basically a strike on Hollywood at this time. We'll get into it here in a minute, but like uh, the Teamsters and shit were on strike too, so that affected this. Uh, William Shatner's cut again. This movie was directed by the Shat Man, William Shatner, making his directorial debut. And this was written by David uh, Lowry. Let me see if he's got any other. Um, before this, Dreamscape and the Stepfather. He wrote the 93 Musketeers, Three Musketeers, Ooh. Tom and Hawk. Lakeview Terrace. Was that a Patrick Wilson movie? Yeah, and Sam Jackson. God bless. So, William Shatner's cut of this movie ran slightly over two hours, not including ending credits uh, or the opticals. Which Paramount thought was too long. The target was one hour forty five minutes, which would guarantee twice nightly theatrical screenings. Harve Bennett was handled. Uh, Harve Bennett was handed the task of shortening the film's running time, despite Shatner's view that nothing could possibly be removed. <laughs> this is the best. Shatner was horrified by Bennett's edit, and the two haggled over what parts to restore or cut. I really hope there's a copy of the Shatner cut somewhere in the. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Ask and you shall receive. Uh, Max von Sydow and is it Sydow or Sydow? I've never been able to. I couldn't tell you. Well, old Max and Sean Connery were both uh, asked to play Cybok. Um, and neither did, apparently. They needed Luckenspiel to get in there. William Shatner asked Paramount for money to complete the film the way he originally intended for release on DVD. Paramount refused. To this day, we may never see the way Shatner originally intended. Oh, no. Hashtag release the Shatner cut. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, the reason we're doing this for our awards story arc is uh, this one, The Golden Raspberry. It's the only Star Trek movie to win or ever be nominated for The Golden Raspberry for Worst Picture. A couple more here rounding up my trivia for this. Shortly before the beginning of location shooting, Hollywood Union truck drivers or Teamsters went on strike to protest pay cuts and overtime changes. We know about the overtime thing from our professional experience. (laughs) Because show business doesn't have overtime. If you file in the entertainment industry, you don't have to pay overtime. Uh, With deadlines looming, the production searched for non-union drivers aware that the Teamsters may retaliate by sabotaging equipment or flying airplanes above the filming to ruin audio recordings. After one of the production's camera trucks exploded in the studio parking lot... Jesus. The non-union drivers headed to Yosemite National Park under cover of darkness with the police escort. Fucking unions don't fuck around. So to say that this movie movie was produced under duress. (laughs) And rounding it out here, the sequence of God chasing Captain Kirk on the planet Shakaray. Okay, so it was, that was Shakaray. That was the name of the planet. Okay, that makes sense, actually. The God of Shakaray would be in Shakaray. That... That was originally conceived to be much longer and extensive, but this had to be severely cut as a result of awful looking special effects. Like I just I want like the I wanted the 
God to become like a physical form, like fucking Sub Zero or something, and then him and fucking Shatner just get in a fist fight. It's a thirty minute fist fight. That's that's a big part of the Shatner cut. <laughs> it's um, it's the inverse or the opposite of the sex scene for Blue is the warmest color. Just <laughs> no passion, just pure unadult. It's the opening scene of Irreversible, just pure unadulterated violence. Um, yeah, this movie I had more fun reading those. <laughs> tidbits then uh, so with all that in mind with my little trivia out of the way with talking about the awards it was nominated for it still stands at 22 percent, which means there are people out there that enjoy it i got i got three fresh tomatoes for you alex okay uh first one from frederick and marianne brusat from Spirituality and Practice. Are you surprised that a website called Spirituality and Practice would be receptive oh, to what this movie Not is? at all. Um, they say, a science fiction thriller with the moral message that we should look for God within the human heart and appreciate the moral dimensions of friendship. Which they're not wrong. No. It's just that the way that this message is delivered is lackluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Thomas from Los Angeles Times says it has high adventure, nifty special effects, and much good humor, but it also has a wonderful resonance to it. Nifty special effects? I don't know about that. Was this the first movie they had ever seen? <laughs> That's nifty. <laughs> was Back to the Future, what year was that? 85. Okay. So, <laughs> yes. The special effects bar was pretty high at this point. Um, finally, Josh Larson from Larson on Film said, did it really take William Shatner in the director's chair to finally give us a decent Star Trek movie? <laughs> and then his co-host... I can't even work up a hoo for that one. I screen capped this and I, I tweeted it at uh, Film Spotting because uh, he's one of the co-hosts. And then his other co-host, Adam, replied, reader, it did not. <laughs> uh so I was hoping one of those would have to do with uh, religion because the last bit I had here was that um, Shatner said the film's main plot themes and elements were inspired by the televangelistic movement of the late 80s. So basically he was just staying up late at night watching those fucking infomercials and thought, of course, Star Trek. I mean, I can see it. The the character of uh, Lawrence. Cybok. Cybok. He's he's a preacher, and, and that's probably one of the most interesting things in this movie. He's a salesman. Yeah, yeah. Tomato, uh, tomato. No, I'm yeah, I'm just agreeing with you. He basically tries to get everyone to buy his shit, and until the end, when you learn that he was really he, he did believe. Yeah, he wasn't just being an asshole the whole time. And we we were the asshole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> projecting on him. That that was like Shatner might as well have just taken the mirror and turned it around <laughs> to the camera. Uh, I obviously this is the first time you've seen this. I saw it uh, when I was a kid, and I remember having a pretty good time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, I was a kid, and I even back then I had seen the f- previous two movies. So I've seen uh, Search for Spock and The Voyage Home. So I had familiarity with the characters, which I think goes a long way towards making this movie a lot more tolerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happened now. Now I can watch it and I can tell you, yeah, this is not good. But I can have an okay time because I like Kirk, I like Spock, I like Bones, I like the crew. Even if the special effects are shitty, the pacing is terrible. Yeah. Uh, 
some of the acting is just the there like there's no real cohesiveness to the story. But you know, maybe the Shatner cut actually made it feel don't like even. more of a I don't know. That would be funny. I know the one we always reference is because uh, we had a guest one time. Corey said that the director's cut of Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie really does make it a good movie. And there's people that believe that. And I don't know if I personally have ever – do you know of any movie that comes to the top of your head that you've seen, that, like the director's cut, and it made it better? Uh, Daredevil. The the Ben Affleck Daredevil. Really? The, the director's cut is so much better. It, really? Yeah. It, it really – it makes it a better movie. Oh, duh! The uh, Empire Records—that's the one I would go to. Yeah, because <laughs> well, yeah. the theatrical release like makes no fucking sense at all, and the director's cut's like twenty minutes longer and really pieces things together. So, with that being said, it's quite possible that yeah, it could be better. And if you're a true fan of it, you, like the special effects, to me, that was the la- the least of this movie's. Problems. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because also you think of it in context, and you're talking about this is the '80s, and we are in the year 2019, so we're a little spoiled as far as as special effects. It's not so much that well, there were movies in the '80s that had better special effects. It's just that at this point, if I watch something that's from the '80s or even the '90s, I, I I'm just already wired to cut them some slack. Yeah. It, that's that's not an issue but it is you know it drags because it, there's problems with it like that's something it, it's like we talk about if something has you you're gonna forgive it but if you're already like oh this isn't that good then you're gonna be like okay that sucks too and then that on top sucks. of everything yeah, yeah, yeah. um it again not being as big of a trekkie as yourself but still you know a fan the main thing that stuck out to me with this is like the chemistry between the the main cast is still just so good. Yeah. It's like, okay, this isn't a total wash. Like I said, to me, it wasn't as bad as it just was boring. I think the pacing was bad. If anything, it should have been shorter. I'm sorry to say Mr. <laughs> Shatner, but um, because there are parts of it that just kind of drag and really make no sense. I did like, uh, I do like the ending. Like I mentioned already that Cybok really was, he did mean well by all of it. He was just, he went crazy because he was driven by a cause. Well, also the idea of of taking Star Trek, which is very science oriented, and making them push so far beyond that they get to a point where they might think that they're in the the metaphysical yeah. world. That's interesting. Oh, very and much so. so. The the underlying idea of what this could be, which is take the Star Trek crew somewhere where they just can't explain what's going on, and they might think that it's God, or take them to meet God. What the fuck? Why not? You know, or, or you know, in this case, it's kind of a. Uh, I mean, I understand they have to wrap things up, but the fact that it's not God, it's just like a very. Uh, it's it's like not even. It, it, yeah, it's not even a creature that believes it's God. It's just this creature that was trying to trick them. That's kind of the easiest way of fixing that finishing that story uh, as opposed to maybe they meet a, a creature an organism that actually believes it's god matt damon and interstellar <laughs> and then and then they have to contend with that then that that would be also like very interesting but now th- all that said it doesn't feel maybe because i'm a little used to more used to the star trek pace star trek's always slow paced at least that's always felt that way to me i love wrath of khan i gave it five stars on letterbox a few months ago and it's it is a really slow-paced movie. That it's still William Shatner acting like William Shatner, mm-hmm. but the overall story is clearly much better than this, and the, the emotional beats hit you harder. And 
and it does move faster than it's not so much that it's uh, move faster, but it's it's not as aimless as a big chunk of this movie feels. So I think that's also the more Star Trek you've consumed, maybe the more wired you are to enjoy this movie. At the same time, the more Star Trek you've consumed, the harder you're gonna be in this movie. <laughs> on this movie, double edged sword. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like a very uh, it's a fine line of making a movie that uh, that makes. That doesn't alienate people that are not Star Trek fans, but at the same time, it doesn't uh, alienate Star Trek fans. To me, at this stage, you know, 30 years after this movie was released, uh, what this really seems to me like is it's really only for Star Trek fans at this point. I could not see someone who's never watched a Star Trek movie jumping in here or someone that's not a big Star Trek fan saying, yeah, Five's my favorite, like, you know, that type of thing. So I think at this point, what its history or lineage is, is uh legacy is the word i'm looking for excuse me is just that some people are going to review it as the worst one um but it does have some redeeming qualities to it but it can just be kind of pointed to as the black sheep of the star trek filmography if- well depending on who you talk to because i'd love it but we talked about this uh last time we recorded after we stopped and we were packing up shit about how some people think Star Trek Into Darkness is the worst Star Trek movie, yeah, which I think is absolutely preposterous. I I love Into Darkness, uh, but but uh, I remember watching the sixth one. Of course, I haven't seen it since then. But and thinking that that one was slow and boring. So, dude, it might be even worse than this. <laughs> no, no, I, I can't say it's because of our Shakespeare in Love episode because I didn't really get any feedback on it. But I did think uh, for some of the movies we do, I was going to try to moving forward, kind of find pieces about them, little excerpts to read and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, I found this piece called No Really, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier Isn't the Worst Trek Movie, uh, written in 2016 by Amanda Kuser. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, basically, it's just a blog entry, but the main thing I wanted to read was the um, her like final thoughts on it. It's a little subsection labeled Why I Still Love It. Uh, Every original Enterprise crew member gets a loving nod in the final frontier. Chekhov takes over as captain. Uhura strips down and becomes a siren, singing a haunting melody against the backdrop of an alien moon. Scotty engineers a darling jailbreak. Sulu showcases his flying skills with a harrowing shuttlecraft landing. To me, Final Frontier plays out like an aligned episode of the original series. It's reminiscent of the 1967 episode, Who Mourns for Adonis? Which finds the Enterprise crew tangling with the powerful alien who claims to be the Greek god Apollo. They even share a certain cheesiness level, considering the glowing green space hand that grabs the Enterprise at the start of the episode and the disembodied head of Apollo on the bridge view screen. Final Frontier may not be a great movie or even a great Star Trek movie, but I wasn't crazy for going to see it five times as a kid. There's a lot to love here. You just need to kick back, enjoy the humor, smile at the special effects, and be prepared to sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat when your turn comes. Which I think, after all we've talked about, is a pretty fair summation of it. Yes. I What I was going to say, because you were up Shakespeare in Love, and I thought you were going to say... Also, I said a line. The word was elongated. I was reading too fast. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, in my case, what I was going to say is that maybe because the last Razzie movie we did was Jilly, which is an appalling movie, (laughs) this actually felt undeserving of the same award. But of course, this was the 80s and Jilly was in the 2000s, so it's kind of the suckiness had increased. Well, also, you know, I'm not going to do it right now, but have you ever, like, gone through the history of the Razzies? Not that it's the... 
the history of the races. I went through the nominees and winners kind of really quickly. Yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Oh, like the, okay. Like the, the track record. In 1924, well, Jonathan Razzie. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> As Frank Razzie, his father, was on his deathbed, he said, host the awards. But it's just like the Oscars in that the quality ranges from year to year, and you can and tell. The when... winner is is usually not the most deserving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but that being said, it comes back to the whole fucking mission statement of what we do. This is not a bad movie like Geely's a bad movie. This is a misguided, um, I think, dropped ball, whereas Geely, like you said, appalling. It's legitimately offensive. Yeah. This is, I think what you said was right. A person that's not into Star Trek is not going to get into Star Trek with this movie. They probably won't even finish it. They won't get to the interesting part, which is the once they get to, they cross the barrier. Mm-hmm. Um and a Star Trek fan will probably range between being extremely disappointed and angry at the movie or like the person writing this blog or even myself find it kind of mediocre but watchable because they like the characters and the setting. There are good lines in it. I, I wasn't kidding. The, I, I need my pain, like explaining how like our pain It's makes a good speech. It's just that the Shatner delivery, Yeah. it's at the same time because it's Shatner and he's been playing the character for so long, you just go with it. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, Daniel Day-Lewis, like, would have fucking slaughtered that scene. But, yeah, it's the same, like, Shatner, it would be like if Jennifer Tilly was trying to do it. I need my pain. The, why does God need a starship? That's that's funny. And then you don't ask God for identification. <laughs> so, yeah, there it, it's not a total waste. I mean, if you, if for some reason it's the only Star Trek movie you haven't seen, I, I mean, this isn't a movie that I would warn someone to stay away from. I would just preface them what they're getting into. Just lower your expectations. Yeah. Set phasers to stun. <laughs> Tremendous. And it goes to show, because we talked about Prometheus during this, the idea of the intergalactic scientist or what have you mixing with the ideas of religion creates for a very interesting foundation but on a large scale no one's pulled it off yet <laughs> i think prometheus gets a lot closer than star trek 5 prometheus does <laughs> yes <laughs> i can't believe you have to wait and really think about it before giving me that answer yeah it's the last time i watched that movie was one of the more disappointing experiences of my life because i went to bat so hard for that movie so oh many God. times you that... let eddie get into your head no, no. Uh, Fassbender's incredible in it. Everybody's great. Not Tom Hardy is not that good. Oh, that is that guy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But anyway, we, uh, without spoiling too much, I think Prometheus may be, the contrarians may tackle that movie here before too long. Just not the way you think. No. <laughs> We're going to post a video of us burning the Blu-ray. <laughs> Outside Ridley Scott's house, just knocking. <laughs> Fuck you, and then running away. All right, so Star Trek Five, twenty-two percent. I mean, again, just exactly what we're saying. We've done movies that are worse than this that are rated higher than that. So, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, our whole thing. Take it with a grain of salt. With this, you know, I usually go with the letter grade. This is a, for me a C minus. Two and a half stars, I think. It's like a two-star movie that gets like, the extra half star in the last half hour, maybe. The biggest thing for me, the reason it's not a D or even an F, the people in it 
are trying, especially Lickin' Brew or oh, yeah. Luckin' Bill. Okay, I feel like we didn't do enough justice to this guy in real talk. He's actually really good. I thought that he was, hands out, the best performance in the movie. And he knows this is this is the fucking show, and he is going for it. <laughs> you get cast as uh, the villain in the Star Trek movie, the main villain in the Star Trek movie. This is it. This is make it or break it. He did both. And I'm Spock's brother. <laughs> This is the last movie he did. And I get to meet God? <laughs> so yeah, he, that guy's he, he does really really well with everything. He he's playing uh his character also. He's a little more subdued than everybody else, which helps him stand out. Mm-hmm. Everybody just it's the tone of the series. They kind of overact a little bit, but he is he's pretty naturalistic, which is is really cool. Yeah. It, it was it was clearly, um, I mean, just from a functionality standpoint, he was clearly the outlier in terms of not being part of the crew, uh, with the same chemistry bouncing back and forth. But his effort. Shatner was there. did one of those tricks where, uh, as a director, he just put his trailer on the other end of the lot. <laughs> <laughs> he put it next to the one that got blown up, just like in case. <laughs> uh, I remember watching it as a kid that last part when they meet God. I was in awe. I couldn't believe what was happening. Here, I'm watching. I was like, it's very clear that this is not God. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I remember thinking, holy shit, did they, are they meeting God? Are they doing this? He's got the wax paper over the comb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was, I think, in a more lighthearted movie, they could really tackle that really funny. But it, it, it was the fucking Wizard of Oz. Yeah, he just, he asks uh, Spock for his social security number. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what is that? A Disney Platinum? <laughs> Why don't you give me the the number on the back of the card for that? Um, okay, so that was Star Trek. I would guarantee it's not the last time Star Trek's going to show up here on the Contrarians. But for the purposes of our awards season story arc for episode seventy nine, Julio, what do we got in the pipe? What is next? Seventy nine would be an Oscar winner, and that is another movie that's been talked about constantly. Uh, by a director that's been the, the it's recipient of your hate for so long, Alex Mattis. It bums me out that this isn't a video podcast just because, no, for the thumbnail, we're going to have to use the, the face of Tom Hooper winning the best uh, best film. It's Tom Hooper's The King's Speech. Yes, it say, is. Say no more. And again, I can already hear the conversation in real talk for this. Similar to Shakespeare in Love. I know. Where after watching it, you're going to be like, I, I really, it's not a problem with the movie. Yes. I just have a problem <laughs> with Tom Hooper. Yeah, that'll be fun. I really like Colin Firth. Um, he'll be, Returning. we just got to get him on every other episode basis, man. Uh, yeah, so that's coming up next. We got anything else to add? Um, the Well, for episode 80, we're having like a little break from the award season because we promised ourselves and our audience at 80 was going to be Walter Mitty. Goddamn right. So if you want to keep with the theme, you could say a movie that should have been part of the award season that year. We're going to go in on that, man. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. It's a, so it's a, I think it's like smack dab at 50. 50, Right. So, because it's a gray area and last time you defended and I attacked, which means that it's my turn to defend and yours to attack. Are you going to be able to attack Walter Mitty? In a very facetious manner, yes. <laughs> That's the spirit of the show. Yes. Okay, so Walter Mitty, very excited to cover that. The DVD copy I own, actually, you got for me for like my birthday or Christmas one year because Julia and I both loved that movie. 
and that'll be a fun one to do. Uh, okay, so moving along to plugs here, how we close out every episode of The Contrarians. Uh, first and foremost, thank you to the Festive Years for providing our opening and closing tracks. We always kick off with Last Stand, wrap up our episodes of Summer of 99. Uh, our logo. Our logo from Hans Rothgeeser. You can contact him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Uh, you can also email him at Mildemonios at hotmail.com. Uh, he will do your logo or he'll draw comics for you or maybe you can tell him how much you like his podcast, Nacion Combi, where he talks about Peruvian stuff, mostly politics, but also some other stuff related to that beautiful country of Peru that I fled. Um <laughs> It's in Spanish, so practice your Spanish or learn Spanish and then listen to it. Uh, also, when Hans saw that we were doing this movie, he asked why. And I said, it's a wrestling <laughs> winner. <laughs> and he said, that makes sense. Yes. I said, well-deserved Razzie. Oh. I, I kind of have a feeling that he is on the camp of Star Trek fans that were deeply offended by this movie. I, I'd be interested to hear some discussion about that because I could see that. But for me, it's just kind of like, eh. uh, For my plugs this week... Uh, Checking back in on Magic City, I did finish up the first season of that show. Uh, there's only two seasons, and I did see you can get the Blu-ray of both seasons for really cheap on Amazon, so I might just pull the trigger on that. Uh, first season, man, that show's just fucking ridiculous. It's, <laughs> to me, what was really nicely done, though, or a nice touch, I should say, not nicely done, but the whole first season is just like ridiculousness and things paying off and then swerves and people getting killed and you know just a bunch of craziness and then it sets up to this finale in the first season where you think all this shit's going to go absolutely insane and then the finale is like the most timid episode of the first season it's the fly episode of breaking bad it's not that timid but <laughs> it's uh it's like the most low key and it really just builds and you know the hallmark of a good season finale is like when you're bummed that you don't have the next episode uh -huh. to do. So it accomplishes its goal. It's really, really fucking silly. Like that's the main thing. Like the acting's really good. The wardrobe and like uh the cinematography's great and the like locations they got were fucking excellent. And I mean Jeffrey Dean Morgan's great. Danny Houston, like I was telling Julio Dude is, like, naked for half the season, and understandably so, because man's packing. I'm going to put some thought into getting the second season. I do recommend the first one because it's very easy to watch. It's only six episodes, six or eight episodes. They're about 45 minutes each. It is, I I know I've used this phrase on here before, junk food television like Ozark. It's just very easy, like a bucket of popcorn to just kind of eat and digest. And it's not the type of thing where uh, if it isn't your cup of tea, you're not going to feel like you wasted your time afterwards. Right. So that's my check-in on that. My official plug <laughs> for this week is a YouTube channel called 616 Entertainment. Now, as I've talked about in the new year trying to ingest new things, I've been delving more into video games and trying to like just learn about new things. Um, and so like video gaming histories really struck my fancy. I've been watching a bunch of documentaries and stuff like that and reading about video game history. So anyway, this 616 Entertainment channel, this guy, I believe his name is Ian. He did this five-part comprehensive history of Mortal Kombat, the video game. And um, it's not like a documentary like, you know, Ken Burns or something like that would shoot. But he put all. Did you get the talking head of Johnny Cage? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he put all five parts together, so it's on YouTube in full. It's 
they're thirty minutes each, so it's two and a half hours. So it's an investment. Or wow, you can just, that's in depth. Yeah, I watched them one by one over the course of several days, and it's the history of them, like how it was released, what it did market wise, you know, how it influenced the video game industry. There's one episode that's really funny and enjoyable where he talks about the. Um, the spin-off games like did you know they made like rpgs and shit based on mortal kombat i had no idea yeah and he talks about those and like the first one was called mythologies and it was this one about sub-zero that it was like a side-scrolling rpg but it still just used the same sprites and controls as mortal kombat so it was like it looked like <laughs> shit and it was infuriating to play uh but the thing is uh he doesn't really do these about much else and you can tell it's not his job but he put a lot of time into it a lot of time and effort and research and then you get to the end, and he explains why he made it. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone that may, could potentially want to watch it, but it's, like, shockingly moving. I was about to say you got an emotional reaction out of you. Yeah. Like, I was watching the conclusion at work today and almost started crying at my desk at work because <laughs> it was, like, it's, it, you know, just humanizes it. It's this – you spend this this time with this guy talking about, you know, the ridiculousness of fatalities and all this shit in this right. hyper-violent video game. And then at the end, he gets to, like, why he did it. And it's like, holy shit. So he, At the end, he puts his sunglasses on and he's like, I am Johnny Cage. <laughs> Regardless. Uh, the name of the YouTube channel is 616 Entertainment. And the full-length feature is just called The History of Mortal Kombat. Uh, again, it's – it's an investment, but it is in five parts if you want to break it down. and uh, Just a fun, interesting viewing. Oh, and they didn't put it up on YouTube, but Melissa Villasenor did an amazing impression of Lady Gaga on SNL last weekend. And <laughs> it was definitely worth it. Did she sing? Yeah. like The whole joke was um, she was on Weekend Update, and it was just her trying to like shoehorn in her impression of lady gaga and they're like melissa we know you've like pitched so many skits to do this before and she's like no i'm just you know i was born this way and she keeps like trying to sing like lady gaga it's really funny um okay so before my plugs i have an announcement uh Uh oh oh it's 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 one you know about (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm quitting the podcast (laughs) um just hear the chord (laughs) (laughs) um we will be we alex and i the contrarians will be part of live stream for the cure three. Yes. Uh, those of you who have been listening to us for a while might uh, remember that I plugged this last year when it was going on. Um, and of course, if you listen to the Epic film guys or any of the other people that did the live stream for the cure last year, you already know about it. Uh, so it's basically three days, Friday, starting Friday all the way to like Saturday, Sunday afternoon, live streaming, different podcasts come on, to help him out. That's awesome. Just raise money for uh, cancer research. It's it's really good. You can get all the information on a link I'll post on the notes. But this year we are there. We got a slot Saturday, the 18th of May from 5 to 6. We'll be doing a movie that I don't know if I'm allowed to disclose yet. But basically we'll be doing like a shorter episode, kind of like the cam episode that we posted uh, recently. A one-hour version of The Contreras probably like... 25 minutes of Contrarian's Corner, 25 minutes of real talk. Um, Just give you a little taste. Yeah. Um, should be fun. We'll be doing it with, uh, at least with Nick. Justin might be joining us too. And of course, whoever happens to be in the live audience at the time. But that, that should be fun. And uh, once they send us the, the official promo, we can start playing it. And of course, we'll be reminding you of this uh, kind of... I mean, you should just donate whenever you can. But if you donate during our segment, makes it look like... Like we did, like we pulled our weight. So if you're going to donate and you can donate from five to six, uh, New York time. What's New York? 
Eastern? Yeah. Yeah, Eastern time on Saturday, May 18th. Even better. Now, on to plugs proper. I have two quick ones and then the, my actual one. Quick ones. I watched Anastasia on stage yesterday. Nice. Uh, really going mostly for my wife. She was really excited about it. I was just kind of like, all right, we'll, we'll go see. It's not like the, the animated version is one of my favorites. It was actually really fucking cool. Nice. The production design was amazing. There's this one scene where they're, uh, they're in a the train leaving Russia to go to Paris and so it's just one wagon on stage but then they have the the projection on the background of just the background is moving as the train moves but then the yeah. wagon is also moving so the projection moves with the wagon oh cool it, it's so good I, I i can't do it justice but uh there's some of the songs uh from the animated movie a whole bunch of new songs uh no Rasputin no uh, Christopher Lloyd no what is it Bartok the name of the bat mm-hmm. is the evil bat but then uh you get a uh, an evil Russian that's not Rasputin. It's it's it was good. Also, I finally watched Bad Times at the El Royale, which you might have heard of mm-hmm. uh, from last year, and I watched it just before I finished my best of twenty eighteen uh, list, and it made it to number ten. It's that good. Nice, uh, really worth watching. And I'll be sending you that uh, that gif of uh, Chris Hemsworth dancing. Yeah, I figured constantly. you just watched it when I got that as a reaction. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so good. Don't be afraid of the two and a half hours running time. Who directed uh, it? Oh my God, Drew Goddard, who did uh, Cabin in the Woods. Okay. And uh, The Martian last year. I mean, it was he wrote it and then Ridley Scott directed it. Uh, so that's great. Now my actual plug, and you may know this movie. Have you uh, heard of the documentary Facing Ali? It's from a few years ago. As in, uh, like Ali? Ali, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, oh, I think it's 2009, maybe. Uh, it was when he was still alive, mm-hmm. and uh, but he already had the Parkinson's. And uh, it's interviews with ten boxers that fought him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mean, I'm not like the boxing guy. That's you. <laughs> so my my knowledge of Muhammad Ali is basically the Michael Mann movie with Will Smith. It's a good movie. I I didn't care for it much, but. It, this documentary has made me want to rewatch it and see, you know, now that I'm older, if I can appreciate it better. I, I think there's a lot of other stuff pertaining to Muhammad Ali you should watch or invest in before going back to that. <laughs> well, it has clips. So this has a lot of clips of, of Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interviews, I mean, he's not part of it. You know, they're just interview. Out of the people I knew, it was uh, Joe Fraser and uh, George Foreman and then eight other dudes, including a British guy. And uh, so they all talk about their fights, their iconic fights with Ali. And also every time they, because it's broken in segments. So every time you focus on one of the boxers, they, they start talking about the lead up to the fight and they start with, start the fight and then they kind of cut and they start telling you about the boxers just in her life and what, how it was before they fought Ali and after. Yeah. And, uh, and then it finishes the match and how it all panned out. It's, it's really cool. And you think it'd get repetitive, but they're so different, all the boxers that, it never does. Mm-hmm. And also, it kind of charts the trajectory of Muhammad Ali as he was getting bigger and bigger. And then, you know, he refused the draft. And then, the, you know, and then the last few fights are actually really sad yes. because there's a point where they're all doing their own commentary on his career. And at some point, they say, this is when he should have ended it. And then he, he kept coming back. Does it have the Larry Holmes fight in there where he just gets beaten senseless? Is Holmes still alive? Well, maybe he yeah. was. Yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. He's, he's there. Uh, 
Is it show when Sonny Liston pulled a gun on him for talking so much shit? No. No. <laughs> no. But they, there's one of the last ones. It's like some guy that he originally sparred with him. And, uh, and then eventually the guy challenged him. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if he won or, or, but whether he won or not, everybody kind of agrees that he should have won. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. Ali was just, Ali completely underestimated him and then got his ass kicked kind of uh, in the ring. And it was it was just to me it was fascinating. It was all like new stuff, but of course, as I'm watching, I'm thinking, if you're a big boxing fan, is this all stuff you already know? Because if it is, then I could see how you'd be not that impressed. To me, it was all new. So well, that doesn't it, just because I know it doesn't mean it diminishes its quality as a documentary. Yeah, but you would think that maybe it's not that big of an accomplishment if you're just getting these guys to tell you stuff that you already knew or the people already know as opposed to getting these guys to tell you stuff to give you at least a very specific insight into stuff that maybe everybody knows but not this way not from this perspective so i'll be curious to see how you would take it and you would tell me oh yeah this is this didn't give me anything new or this was great i didn't know this uh yeah i for whatever reason i haven't seen that one yet um the there's a really good 30 for 30 about the Larry Holmes fight with Muhammad Ali. But yeah, I mean, I've read about that and I think I've read interviews with people, but that's um, Muhammad Ali, man, that dude changed the world. And like having those insights to me, that couldn't get old listening to people that like had personal experiences with him and things like yeah. that. So. It's really cool also because it's not like each segment is just limited to the input from the one person they're talking about. You constantly get the other people commenting on those things and, you know they uh, they cris cut mm-hmm. among all of them, so you could get different opinions about a certain thing that they're talking about because some of them may think that oh well he was in the wrong here, but then somebody else would say no no he was in the right. There's a pretty even split on on his stance on on the war. Yeah, you have about you know out of the ten five guys are saying yes I stand with him and five guys were saying no he should have just gone. So it is it was it was very very entertaining. It's a fascinating character. All right. Well, that concludes this episode of The Contrarians. That was The Final Frontier. We really should have saved this for our last episode. (laughs) And now we're off to find God. (laughs) Uh, Next time it'll be a little bit, uh, I don't know how you can get whiter than Star Trek, but it's going to be whiter with the King speech. But it's not supposed to be white, Star Trek, and I guess... It maybe in the eighties it was not it didn't feel as white, even though in the end it is, like I said, four white dudes going to meet a bigger white dude. Um <laughs> going to meet Trump in six years. Yeah. But the idea of Star Trek is that it's multicultural. Yeah. And I mean, I guess sometimes it just doesn't come across that well. No. It's I'm just talking from a uh, social stigma standpoint. Uh, so, yes, we always appreciate y'all listening, uh, however you come across us. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, we still have our email address, wearethecontrarians at gmail.com, so any feedback, uh, be sure to hit us up there. Uh, we're also on Spotify. We're also on Instagram, at Contrarian Prime. I keep forgetting we're on Instagram, yeah. So, that's going to do it for this uh, Golden Raspberry winner. Next time we'll be back to the Best Picture front. Uh, But in the meantime, we do appreciate y'all listening to us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time.
I forget that actor's name who was the original Johnny Cage, but he was on another gaming show I watched called Up, 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 Up Down, Down recently, and that he still fucking lives the gimmick, man. He <laughs> is Johnny Cage. Uh, through it, though, I did learn that Jean-Claude Van Damme was supposed to be the central character of the first Mortal Kombat. As Jean-Claude Van Damme? Correct. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, the game was going to be called Van Damme, and it was... <laughs> And it was just basically going to be like blood sport. But then apparently he was too difficult to work with or couldn't get the lawyer thing. So because of that, obviously Johnny Cage is the dickhead actor who was like a stuntman. That's uh, yeah, based off of it. You see that Van Damme is doing like Cheetos commercials or something now? Yeah. Um, I've, still, I've still never seen JCVD. I haven't either. It's I know. It, there was a point where it was on Netflix. I don't think it's on Netflix anymore, but... I feel like I miss my window to watch it easily. I feel like it's one of those I should see just because, uh, I mean, I love Street Fighter. And, We're getting and, like, there. Yeah, but also how fucking ridiculously awesome he was in the second Expendables. And, uh, I mean, he's a quintessential character of the 90s. So, JCBD, he plays himself, right? Is yeah, that that's what I've heard. Okay. Oh, I'll have to check it out. 